Alrighty, folks, welcome to Dojo Talks, our weekly podcast. Um, today, we have definitely a bit of a controversial topic. Uh, recently, a few weeks ago, FIDE published uh, this new policy regarding uh, transgender players. Um, so, it's the first thing, first time they kind of acknowledged the, the topic and, uh, and made a policy on it. Uh, it definitely uh, upset a lot of people because uh, basically uh, their policy states that if a player, I'll just explain it for anyone that uh, didn't, didn't read it or see the articles, uh, basically their policy is that if a player wants to identify as a different gender, uh, they have to write into FIDE, they have to provide some form of proof, uh, and then FIDE can take up to two years to either accept or deny this uh, change. Uh, more specifically, based on the language of their policy, it seems like they're uh, kind of exclusively uh, concerned with male to female change. So specifically, a male chess player uh, changing their gender in order to play in uh, women's events, official FIDE women's events. Um, so, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. Uh, my initial reaction, uh, I was, uh, I thought it was kind of crazy actually that they that they did this. Um, there's a couple of issues with it that uh, that we'll get into. Um, and uh, yeah, let's see where do we where do we start here? I feel like okay, if you guys don't mind, let me let me present some of the issues with their with their new policy. That's uh, that's cool. Um, just how, just how I see it. So, um, basically, the there's a couple uh, problems with it. Number one, I feel like their new policy is definitely targeting uh, transgender players, and uh, it actually makes it very, very difficult for someone to uh, come out as transgender and uh, and play. Um, in playing these events, because now they have to like provide this proof to FIDE, and then FIDE now reserves the right to even mark them as a transgender player, let organizers know that they're transgender. And I think, like, I don't know, we kind of have to acknowledge here that in many parts of the world, uh, being LGBT is not something you can do publicly. It's like very, very dangerous, in fact. Okay. Yeah. How, how do you feel about a, a drop of back and forth? Sure. On that, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so I just want to say, I think it doesn't keep you from playing in a large number of tournaments, right? There are any number of tournaments you could play in, and you don't have to announce what your gender is. So, it's right. specifically for women-only tournaments, um, which are a very small percentage of tournaments total, right? So, we're talking, you know, somebody who wants to play in the French Women's National Championships or maybe like the girls under 18 tournament somewhere or something like that, right? So the effect on maybe some more serious chess players would be really big, but for but it doesn't keep somebody from just going to random tournaments. Yeah, as far as I understand, the policy doesn't restrict people uh, from participating in open events, for example. Like you, non, you could show up at events. any random open tournament, play your entry, pay your entry fee, say whatever name you want, you know. Yeah, that's right. Um, but uh, 
yeah, of course, this is very restrictive for feed events. I mean, of which there's quite a few. Um, mm -hmm. And especially a lot of these events are held in places where it's like very dangerous to, to be out. Like you just can't be out as, a, as an LGBT person. Um, so effectively, what, what this does is it kind of bans trans people from being able to participate in these events. Uh, because they now have to think about their safety and they essentially have to choose whether they want to play chess or if they want to be out. Um, but it's very, very hard uh, to do both. Um, the other issue is that, you know, there's this like implication uh, that men have an advantage over women in chess because they're specifically they're specifically not caring about like the female to male transition. It's just only about male players trying to get in to women's events. I mean, that's like clearly what their uh, policy is all about. Uh, and that's definitely like an offensive implication. Uh, we can definitely talk about that as well. Um, I mean, some people love that implication. Other people find it offensive. Yeah. yeah and other yeah. people have less of an emotional stake in it. But it's certainly a hot button topic as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things It's definitely, um, yeah, a very hard topic to discuss. Um, there's a lot of emotion involved. There's definitely a lot of hate involved. Like whenever I see this issue being talked about online, it feels like a lot of people are just like anti-LGBT and they just kind of like use this as a way of like promoting their like kind of hateful rhetoric, which is a real bummer. Because uh, it's, yeah, I don't know. I think, I mean, my personal thoughts, I feel like trans people these days are definitely like one of the most marginalized attacked groups out there. And uh, I think people like to use like sports and these kinds of topics to kind of like provide intellectual arguments. But a lot of times the opposing side, I think they're, you know, at best not understanding the issue and at worst just kind of hateful. So it's really uh, it's really a bummer when these things get brought up and then it just gets so, so heated very, very quickly. Yeah, I don't want to stray too far. Uh, it's already a huge topic. I don't want to stray too far off into, you know, weird psychology, which I also am not like qualified to speak to. But I think to me, it strikes me sometimes when you see these really violent reactions online, that there's some degree of like, you know, frustration or or just not being happy with something in your life or pressures built up, you feel unheard as a person that goes into some of those angry responses versus like hate for a certain group of people. Because I sometimes will also say something like a little overboard when it touches on some topic. And I'm like, oh, I didn't mean it that like harshly. But it's when you're sort of feeling frustrated about stuff. So. Um, yeah. And um yeah, so ultimately, I don't know. I mean, the big thing, it's like also, it's like, where did this come from? Uh, because it's uh, it's not like there was a case of someone transitioning and trying to uh, to game the system. So, I mean, from FIDE's point of view, I'm presuming that they're trying to, like, protect women's events. Like, that's what they're trying to do. They're not just trying to go after trans people like for no reason just because that's what they want to do but in effect i do feel like that that's kind of what's happening like there hasn't been a case 
so far of someone who, uh, and, and we're not talking about someone that's like pretending to be a woman and then trying to play in a woman's event. So what they're going after is someone, let's say, pretending to be trans and then trying to transition and then taking advantage of that. And so far, there hasn't been a case in chess. Um, one thing I also want to mention is that U.S. Chess released their own transgender policy several years ago that I think actually was quite reasonable. Their policy is different in that you can uh, just request to change your identity with them uh, one time and they, they'll affirm it. I think you need to do it like two weeks before you play in an event. And uh, they ask for no verification, no no progress along the way in the transition just just your word is enough yeah you just you request it and it's not like yeah some committee needs to to meet and and figure out if you're trans enough or telling the truth or or whatever if you then want to switch back then that's kind of the limit it's like they allow you to switch once but then if you switch back that's that's it and if anyone tries to game the system in their own words then they just evaluate it as a case-by-case -case basis, which I think is pretty reasonable. Um, I remember when their policy came out, I, from what I imagine, did it, from what I remember, it had the support of the, uh, the trans community. So I'm not exactly sure why FIDE can't adopt a similar policy. I think there is some kind of middle ground here where you have some way of like dealing with this, but without just totally restricting the play of, uh, of someone who's trans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I can me, get, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go Jesse, go. Well, I want to just give a little bit more context of some of the reasons I think this is an interesting issue. Um, so first of all, I think there's, uh, we got to say there's two sides shouting at each other. And generally, in most political things, it's inter inside the country. You know, in the United States, people are yelling at each other in ways that people in other countries might not understand. But this particular issue has two sets of yelling going on that goes beyond country borders, right? One is just how do you feel about transgender people in general, right? Um, do you think that's valid? And then there's the further question that happens then in chess, because, well, let me back up and say, of course, this whole issue of transgender women in chess is mirrored in all of the other sporting events. You're having the same argument in other events, but in chess, it's a little bit more spicy because then we have to ask the question about women's chess. Do we think women's chess should be there? Right. We've talked about this on another episode. Do we feel that men have a natural advantage? Right. We've talked about that a little bit before, too. So you have these two screaming <laughs> sets of factions, right, uh, yelling at each other. And it goes beyond country lines. It's kind of interesting, right? There's not that many issues where beyond just the one country, you have people really yelling at each other. And it, like, makes sense. I think, like, when I listen to British politics or something, I generally do not understand what they're talking about. They're infighting in a way that I wouldn't understand, right? But this is like, oh, it's across the world. People are talking about these two sets of issues that come together right here on our show today. Um, so what I wanted to do is maybe uh, just explain a little bit of my own priors, because I think it's kind of interesting. And I think when people come to this, they should acknowledge their priors. 
right? Okay, so let me back it up. I was born into a place that I would describe as one of the most homophobic places. Well, at the, and maybe, I don't know if the world at that time, it was incredibly homophobic. I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, on the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, I, the word hoto to me was a bad thing before I knew what it meant, okay? And um, what was really interesting when looking back on that is no one was out in my high school. Not one person came out as gay, not one. And at that time, Santa Fe was always a place where the rich people on the other side of the tracks lived. And we knew that there were gay people over there. And since we hated those people, it was quite natural to extend homophobia to be like a class warfare thing going on against some decadent people on the other side of the tracks. And the reason I bring this up, a couple of reasons. One is when you think about why FIDE did this, look at the FIDE demographic. It's, uh, let's say, people in Russia. What do they see? They don't have people who are out, right? That's, to my mind, totally central to overcoming your homophobia. You actually have to meet some gay people and hang out with them. Same thing with trans people. But you don't have that in most of these countries that belong to FIDE. You just don't. And then what do they also see? Oh, the decadent West. Oh, the decadent West with all their bullshit. Well, I understand that point of view. I, I, I came up in that. I know exactly what they're talking about. And so, like, for me, I didn't meet a gay person until I left town and went to college. I didn't meet a trans person until around uh, late 90s, early 2000s. And both of those experiences were huge in me just like, oh, this is a, you know, I, I get it. I understand what this quest is about. But in the majority of these places that are having the vote within FIDE, they do not have these experiences, right? So I think it's important to say like, well, why is FIDE doing it? It's not some arbitrary thing. It's the vast uh, voting block of FIDE is very much anti, both anti-gay and anti-trans. That's just something you have to wrap your head around, right? We're talking about all those African nations that are voting, India, you know, China, Russia, it's a huge voting block in the in the chess community. So you can't just like disregard it as a cultural, you know, an object of the cultural war. Okay, before I pass it back to you guys, I want to say one thing. I have one strong statement on this. This is the one thing I feel good about. If you are shouting on this issue and you think that you are 100% right, whether you're shouting from the perspective of the right or the left, and you think you're 100% right when you are dealing with stuff like there's questions of genetics, brain science, culture, uh, gender. When you think you are right in the mix of all that soup, which is going to have to be like part of what your analysis of the situation is, then I'm calling bullshit on you. And I know that essentially what I just did is I call bullshit on a lot of people because that's what they all sound like when they're yelling on Twitter. That's what they sound like. They have the truth in their hands and they're cudgeling it. They're whacking people with their truth. And I'm just like, no, boss. It's definitely not that easy. All right. Yeah. So, okay. On that, on that, Jesse, real quick. I mean, let's just say like for some people, I, I agree. A lot of people are yelling. But for some people, it's not just a debate, right? It's not an argument. It's kind of life or death. 
Like, if they go to some of these countries, they could literally, fa- they could be put in prison, they could be killed. Like, I mean, it's oh, not, and it's not just in these other countries, like in the U.S. still. I mean, if you look at, uh, if you look at Twitter, if someone is openly trans, anytime they tweet, they just get tons of hate, insults thrown at them, dead naming, just like the worst stuff. So it's just like, I kind of get it why it's just like, I mean, of course we get it, like why it's so, it's so tense. It's just like, there's all this just like mm-hmm. hate and arguing being uh, thrown around. And mm-hmm. you can imagine it's just like very, very dehumanizing. And if, if you're in it, so it's like, I don't know, I, I kind of understand it more from the, uh, the LGBT uh, perspective. I, by the way, I'm totally with you, especially on why I, I loved your intro about the hate. I think it's very important to talk about. Um, and I feel like um, in the United States, for example, I think people have come to be accepting of gay people for the most part. But trans is still, dude, no. Like where I live, you know, I live with David in Berkeley. Fine, dude. I live here in Baltimore. I meet and hang out with trans people all the time. But these are just urban areas where there are enclaves of acceptance, right? Otherwise, no, you leave and it's not. You, you have, there's a real problem. Yeah, but that's why it's like... I have a hard time really parsing the like the anti anti trans arguments. It's because a lot of people they make these like arguments and sound so logical. But I remember, okay, 15 years ago, the country was uh, divided about same sex marriage, and mm-hmm. you had a lot of the same people making very logical arguments about why gay people shouldn't be married and what about the kids mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And it's like it was it was never really about the arguments. It just felt like it just felt like hate, you know, or or phobia. Or, Whatever, and mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of that same stuff is happening now. People feel weird about the topic, and so they kind of like try to come up with these logical rationalizations, and yeah, a lot of them don't really uh, I mean, make sense. I mean, I could try to give you an argument, but then somebody would clip it without me saying that I was giving somebody else's argument. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to skip explaining it on this one. Um, well, well, let's say the obvious argument. The obvious argument is that. Um, you have people who, um, when they transition, they take away spots and titles from women. And while I think it's really controversial in chess, and if you wanted to make that claim, you'd have to go into the dark hole of genetics and yada yada, right? But if you look, say, at weightlifting, and you see somebody who's transitioned from man to woman, it's problematic, dude. It's obviously, if I was the woman who got my record smashed, or didn't be able to make the Olympic team, of course, you understand what the argument is. The argument is not too hard to understand, right? Yeah, yeah, but I guess my other point here is that people use, actually someone brought this up in the Discord and it's a great point. People use sports as kind of like a wedge issue. Because I agree, okay, the sports, especially like physical sports, it's not that it's not that simple. But this is like one like tiny like piece of the puzzle and then people just use it to kind of just like attack trans people relentlessly over this thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? But I agree. I mean, if athletes are like complaining and all this stuff, I mean, uh, you know, the, I think it's up to the sports to have to figure it out. And it's up to the chess world to figure out how we want to kind of approach it um, as well. Yeah. I mean, Kostya, I think like one potential concern for some women, maybe, and I don't know who has or hasn't voiced this, right? But I mean, some women might want like a women's only tournament to be a space where they're away from men and 
let's say I show up at that tournament and I say, I, I'm trans, I want to be at this place, and they don't feel comfortable with it, right? And the same thing comes up also with like bathroom usage, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a woman and you don't want a guy in your bathroom, and I just come into your bathroom and say like, well, in my head, I'm thinking I'm a woman, right? So that's where there's like some possible concern that can come from from women about their space. And so that's where that's where there might be some impetus to have some kind of a policy of some kind, right? The policy would be like someone has to de declare themselves versus just I show up and I tell you like while I'm in the bathroom with you, you know, like maybe I've had to like tell somebody else somewhere else or I had to change my name or I had to like, you know, and and I don't I, there's probably like a huge range of what the policy could be, right? But just to give you like some sense of why there might be a policy and you might still hate the policy feed it has, right? Yeah. I mean, also, it's like, so far, this is all hypothetical. Like, we haven't had this, like, high-profile case, right? right? Usually, new policies come about because there is some big case, and it's like, okay, now we need it. But so, that's why it just feels like... But symmetrically, symmetrically, Kostya, people are super upset about FIDE's policy, and FIDE has not yet prevented any trans woman from playing in a tournament. They just set a policy that they have the right to review or decide it. No, no, no. by virtue of this policy, they're, they're, they're preventing. Because if someone if someone submits an application, they're now in danger of FIDE outing them, right? They have to be okay with that. They're they're in danger, but it hasn't happened yet, as I'm saying. Well, it's because also you, wouldn't, you wouldn't apply if, if that's a big risk for you. You wouldn't even take that risk in the first place. There Maybe have been so. trans players that have already, like, stated that, like, they now don't want to play FIDE events. They don't even want to touch it because it, it's, it's just a non-starter for them. Sure. So it does feel like they're like actively like banning players without actually like a case, you know, mm -hmm. to set the precedent. Through a, through a chilling effect kind of banning. Because I mean, it's hard, harsh to say banning if they haven't actually banned someone yet. Well, yeah, it's like uh, it's like an effective ban. It's like they're not saying they're banning them, but they're making it very, very hard for a trans player to to be able. Well, to they're play. signaling we we have the possibility to do something really bad to you, and you're like, well, why do you want the possibility to do something really bad to me? And then you're scared. Yeah, Driven's also saying icing. It's it's like a chilling effect. Um. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, I want to talk about the genetics thing because <laughs> okay. I think this is a very important part of the puzzle. I think I could be wrong, but I think a lot of people are getting this very, very wrong. So there's this idea that men have an advantage over women in chess. And because of that, that's why we need to protect women's events from men transitioning and just taking over. Um, and I guess it's like, uh, yeah, a lot of people bring up like biology and genetics and there's like question like, because uh, okay, we all understand the highest rated players, most of them are men, right? At the top, it's much many, many more men than women. We all get that. And then people are, have this like question of it's like, oh, is it a biology? Is it a cultural thing? Uh, to me, it's cultural. I think it's very clear that it's cultural. Number one, just the numbers, right? Just when you have a vast majority, more men playing than women, it, that's going to lead to, uh, to just these uh, these differences, but the bigger thing I want to express is that like 
I don't, you can't even begin to measure the biology or discuss it until you account and equalize uh, for the culture. And actually, you guys were talking about this the other day. David, you made a great point, but I feel like you didn't take it far enough. You mentioned how in uh, 1989, Vishyanand became the first Indian grandmaster. And then after that happened, we saw this like explosion of chess in India. Tons of players got into the game. There are tons of coaches. Now we, you know, t in today's world, India, I think, has close to 100 GMs. They have a lot of the top juniors. We're all expecting India to just kind of dominate and like take over chess in the, in the next 10 years. So think back to like 1985. Karpov Kasparov World Championship match, Soviet Union. They've got tons of grandmasters, got tons of GMs in Russia, all these countries, Ukraine, Georgia, Armenia, US has grandmasters, England has grandmasters, Netherlands, Serbia, like all these places have tons and tons of GMs, no grandmasters in India. And imagine people back then were like, hmm, like can Indians play chess? <laughs> like, do Indians have the biology to play chess? Is it a biological thing or is it a cultural thing, right? Like, do Indians have the brains for chess? It would just make no sense. It makes completely no sense, right? Because the culture was different. In the Soviet Union, for decades and decades, chess was super important. Every kid was taught chess when they're younger. It's like part of the culture. Even people that aren't chess players, they remember growing up, if you talk to uh, any Russian, they'll be like, oh yeah, I remember watching Kasparov on the TV. It's like chess is just like infused in the culture. It's not a surprise the Soviet Union had, you know, dominated chess for, for many, many years. And now India, I mean, it's just like, it's no question. Like, it's not a biological thing, <laughs> like why they didn't have grandmasters, right? It's a cultural thing. And if you look at the culture for a male player and a culture for a female chess player, they're growing up in two very, very different environments, right? It's just not the same at all. Male chess players get very, treated very, very differently to female players. So to me, it's like it doesn't make any sense to discuss the biology, even entertain it until it's like you equalize the cultural effect. OK, wait, though, Kosti, this is one of the issues where I, I want to call bullshit on it, though, because I feel like the left makes a great point. I, it's a great point about um, representation. Right. When I go to the chess club, too, there's very few women there. It's a great point. We can talk about statistics. It's a very valid point. And that's the position of the left, then, that it's a cultural thing. The right then makes an argument about genetics, and they go on and on about it. And oh, my God, you could go in so many rabbit holes about it. Right. So uh, what I want to say, though, that if you believe on either side that you're 100% right, no, dude, no, 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 no. It's too complicated. It's too complicated. So if you make some strong claim like you just did, I'm like, no, dude. Like, there's just no way you can have that level of certainty that you just expressed. No, but I'm not. And I'm not claiming it's 100% cultural. I mean, I do believe mm -hmm. it's mostly cultural. I'm saying it doesn't make sense to even discuss the biology until you figure out and equalize the culture. There's just no way to. There's no way to account for it. Like, it wouldn't make any sense. Discussion of the biology is sort of hypothetical rather than based on any day. Yeah, and frankly, it's insulting, right? It, do, it doesn't have to be taken as insulting. I mean, m I've had people tell me that women are better at multitasking than men, and it didn't insult me. I just thought, okay, that's a theory that you probably don't know, but yeah. that's a theory. Right, yeah, but it's, right. it's a different thing, multitasking versus straight up, like 
you know, intelligence, right? Like, that's is not straight up intelligence. I agree, no, no, I agree with you, but that's that's the argument that like you see a lot of people making. Just one particular activity. So, like, here's here's maybe I, here's here's the best way I think I can intuitively express how you can see genetics in chess. Um, forget about gender for a second, and then look at the top players. Um, and you, you very easy thing people can do: go to the go to YouTube and then do the memory test with. Uh, Carlson and Aroni and look at their answers and try to imagine, could you possibly do that? Ask yourself that. And, and, and the answer is no, you can't. There is a genetic thing that they have going on. I don't know what it is, but I guarantee, I know that it's very useful at the chessboard. And we've seen other things. We've seen uh, players like Ivanchuk openly calculating. You're like, oh, that's another level. That's clearly not just something he learned. That's something genetic. So for me, it's not just male and female. Like I could well believe, for example, that Judith Polgar had whatever gift it was too. I don't feel like science has come close to identifying what these top players have, but it's definitely genetic, right? And so well, it doesn't the, even the have top to, doesn't that, wait, Let me just finish. So it doesn't even have to be necessarily about gender. Like we could say Judith and other women players have the same skill, but it's definitely a genetic thing to like say the genetic component isn't there. It's like, oh no, dude, I think we're, you know, missing the big picture. Well, I'm not saying the genetic component isn't there for chess players at all, but I mean like, yeah, we recognize that there's players like Judith Polgar and Huya Fon that clearly have the genetic gift, right? Whatever that might be. But people are the ones that are dividing it by gender. They're trying to make this claim that like men have like better genetics for it, which I think is kind of ridiculous. Okay. Again, it'd be I, like asking in 1985 if like Indians don't have the genetics for chess. Like it just makes no sense. But once you acknowledge that genetics has to play a role in this discussion, then there's a variety of ways you at least have to question your, your argument right? Your, or at least the certitude of which you express it, right? Um, no, I, I mean, my main point is that I think it it's very difficult to even begin to measure it. And it's, it's kind of pointless when the, the culture is so vastly different. Speaking of things that, that aren't even determined, I mean, people don't even know if being good at chess has any correlation with being smart, do they? Um, like, I have my I have like, a whole like, YouTube video I want to do on that. Like, is it all <laughs> is, is it at all proven or known? And maybe this is another topic which we don't need to get yeah, into. That's a, that's, is it all proven or known topic. if like grandmasters are smarter than like twenty two hundreds are smarter than fourteen hundreds on average or um, something? Um, I don't know. I remember hearing about studies that were basically like inconclusive. They were like measuring kids that do chess versus kids that don't do chess, and then I I feel like they didn't find any particular. Uh, advantages or, or whatever. Let, let but, me just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Let me just put it this way, because I think uh, I, I will do at some point some kind of uh, deep dive on this. But like when people talk about smart, they're usually talking about an IQ test. An IQ test is a very limited gauge of intelligence because you can't use anything that has cultural signifiers on it. So you can't even use memory. Of course, memory is something important. When you do those IQ tests, which by the way, are basically like the SATs and the GREs and other tests that you have in other countries, right? You're not also not doing any system two thinking. It's very quick problem solving. How fast can you solve these little logic puzzles, right? So to my mind, like chess has a lot more going on 
a lot more dimensions of thinking. System two, how long can your mind go? Uh, memory, you know, patterns, all kinds of stuff that like intelligence as it's narrowly defined out there as an IQ test or something doesn't even capture. So anyway, that's my two cents. It's a different topic though. Jesse, let me, let me push you mm -hmm. um, from Kostya slash Dripman here. Yeah. Um, do you think when there's this genetic component and we don't know about, you know, women versus men or whatever, but we're discussing yeah. it along that axis. What about along other axes like the Indian axis? Like, would you say like, is it possible that Chinese people are all better at chess than non-Chinese people, that they have some predisposition? Hmm. Not. And like, if somebody started talking about that, would it feel uncomfortable to you that somebody wanted to have a conversation with you about how they thought Chinese people were all better or worse um, at chess than non-Chinese people? You know, one, I, I mean, I have, let me just, <laughs> the one memory that stirred as I was hanging out with some Indian GMs and, you know, they just had a different perspective entirely. And they were like, Oh yeah, the the when you look at the Indian GMs, they're all Brahmins, right? The Brahmins being this higher intellectual priestly class. And I was like, that's that was so against my like American view of the mind, but that's how they actually saw it, which I thought was both hilarious and disturbing at the same time. And so, like, right from their perspective, there is like this genetic thing that goes back thousands of years, thousands of years that's been cultivated in some so um I'm, that didn't answer your question. <laughs> it just was the first thing I thought of because that's what it would essentially imply. That's something where you felt uncomfortable, right? Where you would. It was a really interesting moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And by the way, the other thing that I, we we have to talk about, I want to do a dojo talks about the rise of the Indians, is there was a really interesting thing that's happened in my lifetime where when I was a kid, all of the top players were Eastern European Jews. Let's say ninety ninety to 95 percent it was a very predominant thing and that's now changed dramatically right to now being chinese and indian kids now what that's about i think it's really interesting to do a deep dive but what 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 happened because of that is 20 years ago there was a common assumption that like oh yeah the jews are smarter you know and then there would be a oh. lot of people making genetic arguments on that case and then now with the rise of the chinese and the indians i'm sure people are going to be talking about that kind of thing too i hear people saying things like indians have some kind of thing that makes them better at chess and rightly or wrongly my like gut reaction is like oh <laughs> like yeah yeah right <laughs> like, oh that's like some gross racist kind of thing going on right like even right. if it's positive it's like somehow it's always racist right cuz yeah it means others are less good or you're saying something weird or whatever. And mm -hmm. maybe it shouldn't be a big deal. Maybe it's possible that people in some part of the world are have some kind of thing because they lived in a certain environment and now they're all better at chess or worse at chess. And maybe I shouldn't care. Maybe I should feel just as untouched by that as by other differences. I think one of the things about uh, the, even take Kostya's argument further with the uh, Indians in 1989, it's like, India has such a huge pool of people. In fact, when I look at the population statistic of how many people are Indians, it blows my mind. I can't, I can't count that high, right? But if you imagine a whole country that's now chess obsessed, the talent is gonna get sifted very quickly and it's gonna, you know, you're gonna get that very small percentage rising to the top. And so just numbers 
right? It is in that sense a very much a numbers game. And then when I go to the chess club, I don't see any women. That's just the way it is. I see women streaming when I'm on Twitch. You know, that's kind of a cool and amazing thing, but that's still, uh, that, that's a false sense of there being a lot of women out there because when I go to the tournaments, I, it's still uh, around four to 6% of the players that are there. Yeah. So that's like an example of an issue that's ongoing that FIDE could be directing their attention towards, right? Rather than like, yeah, like uh, preemptively trying to uh, stop some kind of, um, you know, difficult case to deal with. So, yeah, what I really don't get is why they can't take like a U.S. chess approach where, okay, if they really believe someone is gaming the system, then they can evaluate it then, right? Rather than forcing mm. everyone through this kind of like weird application, which can take up to two, what takes up to two years? How is this a two-year thing? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a lot of time to like not be able to, uh, to play. Well, and let's just say the obvious. They are clearly kicking the can down the road. They didn't want to address the issue. And so this is their way of being like, oh, we don't really, or we're not really making a decision on this thing, right? I really would like to look closely at the text of the FIDE decision if you guys are cool with that. Sure. I am, but let me ask Kostya one quick question. So Kostya, how do you feel, and I, I myself, I'm not sure I have a conclusive feeling on this, but I just want to get your sense on this particular question. So how do you feel about the cases of uh, men who've transitioned to women who then destroy at women's weightlifting competitions? No, honestly, I don't know. I think actually it's uh, like, that's a tough question. Um, like my feeling is that like I'm not a doctor, right? I don't know what that's like to transition. I don't know what kind of changes it has, right? I get that people have uh, reservations about it, okay, especially like combat sports, right? That definitely sounds like odd at first, but mm -hmm. I just feel like it should be up to the sport. They should consult with doctors and experts and figure it out. And then if it's not fair, it's not fair. If it is fair, it's fair. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's weird to me that, like you said, like, like people claim to know, right, without having actual knowledge on uh, the topic. Mm -hmm. All right, Dave, read us this thing, boss. Okay, before I do, here's what I want to say. Like with many things, my first exposure to FIDE's decision was a bunch of people yelling about it before actually seeing the text of the decision. Mm -hmm. And a lot of stuff now, I get that way. Um, I get like what everybody thinks about the news before I get the actual news. And I find whole articles online about, you know, this person's anti-Semitic comics or this or that or that. Even, even This is not even just looking on Twitter. Like I can go on news websites. And I get articles and they never even give the comment in question. So it'll be all about, you know, this person was anti-Semitic or this person, did, mm -hmm. you know, was like anti-Palestinian or this person is Islamophobic or whatever. And it doesn't even say what the person ever said. And often the articles are even quoting tweets. So it's like, man, how do I escape from Twitter? <laughs> okay. So that's the media. Yeah, that's the media these days. <laughs> that's like a new weird way of consuming things, like in the wrong order, right? Like you got to go to the text, right? We've, we've all had like a classic education of some kind, right? You start with the text. And okay. I, I, I even wonder if some of these people posting also did not read the text before they started posting their opinions. And so you've got people arguing with each other who've maybe never even read uh, Fide's 
mm-hmm. decision at all. So uh, let me bring up two points about Fide's policy, and then you guys can go wherever you want with it. Or we could, you could interrupt me on the very first one if you want, actually, right? Okay. So the first one I want to go to is in the regulations. It starts with number one definition, trans or transgender. People whose sense of gender does not match with the gender assigned to them at birth and whose change of gender has been approved according to the national legal rules or a FIDE decision uh, in exceptional cases. And what that's referring to later on, it's specified as like if, if someone in your country won't recognize that you're trans, you could still like appeal it to FIDE and they could say, yes, we recognize you, even though the people in your country won't. Mm-hmm. Okay. But so... Um, intersex people, androgen and polygender people, cross-dressing and transvestite people are not included under these terms. So what I want to point out here, first of all, is for those who think that FIDE's agenda is just pure bashing of transgender people, the very first paragraph acknowledges transgender as a real thing, which is already... That is good. That is already a pretty big step is like acknowledging your existence, right? Because if you remember what Jesse was saying early on, a lot of FIDE's member states, in his opinion, a lot of places, like that's not a given, right? So if they're just like, and and Kostya and Jesse, you've read the people's comments who are like angry, right? The people who are angry are just posting comments like, you're not a woman, like you're just a man who's crazy or something like that, right? Or you just, I don't know, right? Like they're saying like, like, this isn't true. That's what a lot of like the anti-trans comments are online, right? And FIDE is not doing anything like that. In fact, they're immediately taking a position on the other side of that, right? And saying, this exists, these are these people, and here's what it is. So that's the first thing I want to bring up from the text. And then I have a second okay. thing also. All right. Let's hear no, it. That, that's a very decent point. The FIDE could have been a lot worse <laughs> with their policy. That's That's for sure. They could have just been like, no not allowed right so okay so we'll, we'll, we'll continue from there but that cast doubt on the idea that it was a bunch of like transphobic people sitting around thinking like let's just like do something hateful mm. right um okay so now let's go some doubt to sorry the- just on that point it's still it's still possible it's still that possible. they use that language possible. to protect themselves but they're still very much against right it's possible. And and perhaps it was done by a group of people who were at different places and it's a compromise of a bunch of people and whatever, right? And there was somebody super progressive and somebody super angry or whatever, you know, in the mix. But, um, but it certainly doesn't at first blush have the tone of like just absolute rejection and, and, and hate motivation. Okay. But let's go to what I think is the most important line in the entire thing which is at the top of, I don't know what page this is, maybe the third page or something, but it's section three on the temporary restrictions, right? And it's the final paragraph of that first sentence. It says, in the event that the gender was changed from a male to a female, the player has no right to participate in official FIDE events for women until further FIDE's decision is made. Right? That's the part which basically says, you want to play in women's tournaments, but you're on hold until FIDE makes another decision. Mm-hmm. So interestingly, and I didn't even I didn't even catch this the first time I read this document. Okay, so let's like be honest about our capacities as readers, right? When I first read this document, I was like, 
wait, is this the document that everybody was mad about on Twitter? Like I didn't, I, I thought I must've read something different or they hadn't read it or something because mm -hmm. it seems so different to me until I tracked down this sentence. Because my first reading of their overall document was they were saying, like, this is what transgender is. We just asked that people, like, actually, you know, announce that they're transgender to actually be transgender or let us know that they're officially switching gender. And then, you know, we recognize it and it even said, you know, if, if they can't get, you know, a doctor's note or the equivalent of that, right, that they can appeal to us and we'll, you know, look at their case individually and say, yes, you are. Right. So at first I like, totally didn't get it. Then I see this. The weird thing here is it's saying, like, they may have fully acknowledged the thing, right? But now they're saying, despite acknowledging the thing, there's this random hold, right? So this is like a separate review, a second, a second uh, hurdle you have to get over, mm -hmm. essentially. So that was like slightly weird. It took me a moment to, to even find that. Now, I think it just leaves huge questions because it doesn't, say anything about this further FIDE decision. Like, we don't know if that's just something where they like rubber stamp something or what, what are they going to do? What's going into this decision? Why might it take two years? Realistically, how long would it take? Who's making that decision? Mm. It's a very, it's a very weird uh, thing, but it's the crucial thing in the entire document, right? Is this fact that you have to wait two years and that they could just potentially reject you and you have no idea why. Right. Right. So it's like the crux of the document, but it's also very fuzzy and not even grammatical. But so. it's like all things that are that are written by committee. It reads like it was written by committee. Okay. <laughs> right? I thought it was written by someone who didn't really speak English, but maybe it yeah. was the committee effect. Yeah. Yeah, well, FIDE is often using like vague language and, uh, as, as Jesse said, kicking the can down the road. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they still haven't released their, you know, they were supposed to do this big investigation on the whole like Magnus Hans drama from a year ago. Yeah. They never really, they were like, we're going to release it. We promise, you know, it's just, we're waiting for this lawsuit. Still haven't, you know, so they're, they're often just kind of like, dilly-dallying around the... Uh... In fact, in terms of kicking the can, the phrase is so unspecific grammatically, it doesn't even tell you if it's going to be a further decision on what FIDE's policy on trans is or if it's going to be a specific ruling on your case. It doesn't even clearly refer if the further decision is about a single case or about their entire policy. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> welcome to the FIDE. <laughs> Um, one thing I think is really important too about in, in just not only in terms of countries, but so in among us, right, we're a slightly different generations, me being Gen X, Kosia being um, millennial. And then, you know, I think that's definitely will totally change how you see this debate. I also think that in urban areas like where I live, the Zoomers are obs obsessed and driven on this issue in a way that's harder for older people like myself to understand. Like <laughs> they are so in, in an uproar about this. And just like anecdotally, when I talk to, let's say parents, the amount of kids that are identifying as transgender in urban areas 
it's it's amazing. It's it's a stunning amount of kids are thinking of themselves as transgender. And so I just want to put that into this debate because it's important to see that I think if you think of it as a political or a cultural problem, right, that it spans both countries and different questions of gender in those countries and these generations, especially in the Western countries, right? The generational gap in the generations is just so extreme in the way they see things, right? Yeah. 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 So you guys looking at this language, like what, what do you think Fide's intention is with this, with this, uh, what do they call it? Further decision. Like what, like, can you tell if the further decision is going to be positive, negative, a rubber stamp, a long process, who's involved? Like, or is it confusing to you too? I, to me, it's not, well, I, I mean, I can tell you my read on it. My read on it is that you have these countries like Russia, Dvorkovich being at the top, using deliberately vague Kafkaesque language to not actually address the issue, but in effect, ban transgender people for the unforeseeable, unforeseeable, the foreseeable future, not the unforeseeable future forever, right? And the only way that that process is going to change is if that leadership gets shaken up. That's and and you know I don't even see it getting shaken up anytime soon over there. Feed it, you know, in any kind of significant way. So you think that their goal is to truly keep trans women out of women's tournaments? That's my sense. Yeah. Uh huh. But make it a little bit like vague and confusing, so it's not obvious that they're just trying to ban everybody. Right. Okay. And I think. The whole idea of a process that could possibly decide this is ridiculous in its in itself, right? What are you talking about? We've already just recognized in this podcast how ridiculously complicated it would be to try to come to some scientific understanding of what this is when in fact it's a cultural question where you're just, if you claim you're doing a scientific thing, you're actually just importing your priors into the situation. Right. So the idea of some scientific dude coming out of the woodwork and saying, well, yada, yada, yada is true. Give me a break. Right. And that's what they're implying that's going to happen in two years time or something. You know, so, no, I don't believe any of that. Yeah, I mean, I think to be as generous to FIDE as possible, I do think they're kind of, again, looking at it as like a way of like protecting their their top female players and uh, in those events. Um, but yeah, the way it plays out and yeah, again, a lot of the people behind the decision, you know, it, it wouldn't be crazy if they were just kind of anti-trans in general. It's like, just doesn't seem beyond the pale. Um, yeah, just seems unnecessarily harmful. And again, this is against a group of people that's like, already being like attacked and marginalized just like on a daily basis you know and it's just like just adding on more to to them which i think is uh i don't know i i, I mean i think it's very unfair but. i mean in your most charitable interpretation they would be trying to protect women from a just male male kind of scammer type right uh, that would be the most charitable interpretation and there at least it would be protecting women who are also like a group that you know gets attacked um 
in chess. Absolutely. Did you recently get mated? Well, it's time to join the Chess Dojo training program. Or maybe you just enjoy this fine content. Give us some money on the Patreon. I need to keep the lights on. And with inflation, it's really hard for Costia to be buying that avocado toast. Yeah. Um, um, the other, actually, the other thing I want to bring up is just like a bit of, uh, I don't know what to call it exactly. It's like, it's clear a lot of people are very upset about their decision. A lot of people in the West disagree with mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. What can people actually do <laughs> to, to change things is not clear to me. You know, it's just like, it just seems like FIDE is in their own bubble. They have this like election, you know, every couple of years. Uh, and if the president wants to keep being president, usually he can just do so. You know, you guys remember, um, of course, Ilham Zhinov, right? He was president for, for many cycles. Only reason he didn't win is just because he just got sanctioned all over the place. Um, but I remember a couple of years ago, it was him, you know, Dvorkovich as a candidate. I think it was sh like short that was running. It definitely looked like Ilham Gina was just going to win again, just yeah. easily, right? But then, okay, yeah, he got sanctioned super hard. And then they were like, all right, fine, we'll, we'll go with Dvorkovich. Dvorkovich is the, is the new guy. Well, I think so, Putin, moved his, uh, Putin moved his pick, right? And that's what it was. Sure. Putin well, oh, but let's talk actually practical stuff in terms of what can people do, because the, the shakeout is kind of interesting. So obviously then it's they could say at the Women's Olympiad that if they, I don't know, if they suspected or somebody was openly trans, they could exclude that player from playing on one of the national teams. Do they have the reach? Let's say in the U.S. championship, somebody was a transgender and played in the U.S. Women's Championship. Would I, I think the the U.S. the U.S. Chess Federation? Let's not even begin to talk about what they would do. But it, let's just say any given national or organization could have the prerogative to hold that event anyway, and it might not be FIDE rated. That's what FIDE could do. They could take away the rating from that event, but they can't obviously just stop the event, right? Um, so really what we're talking about, I think, is mostly the Women's Olympiad. Well, no, right? there's like Women's Grand Prix, Women's Candidates. I mean, okay. lots of okay. events. Like junior, but, junior okay, tournaments. Okay, but even though the junior tournaments, absolutely. But imagine um, the Grand Prix. Those Grand Prix events, the only thing they could do, I mean, because they're qualifying to the U.S., to the Women's World Championship cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Or to the match, to the match even. To the match, excuse me. Yeah. No, I think so, to the candidates, or the changes, but yeah. Right. Generally so to the candidates, part of the cycle already is the Grand Prix. And arguably, like even things like national events, like a country championship, are also seeding people into that kind of thing as well, like in terms of the, like the old interzonal qualification things that you have going on, right? So, yeah, it's, I'm just I'm just asking, like, to what extent would they actually <laughs> would they actually do it? Like David said, I think there's one thing to announce a policy and there's another one to enforce it. And when I try to imagine them enforcing it, well, that, yeah, that's be that'll get a little spicy. And I think if you ask what can we do, I mean, the, then I think it's like in terms of the enforcement is where we could step up, especially as 
national organizations, though. My God, U.S. chess. I don't know how <laughs> we're going to use U.S. chess in this battle. And by the way, we were talking about U.S. chess in the last podcast, you know, but U.S. chess is central. I'll tell you one of the weird ways in which U.S. chess is central is because U.S. chess is responsible for electing FIDE. They get to vote on who the FIDE president is, for example. They get one vote, right? But they I mean, all vote. these national organizations get one vote, right? But it's that organization that, des that decides. Yeah. True. Yeah, it is the each each federation. Um, but, uh, yeah. I was thinking, I think, you know, um, we could just launch our own separate, you know, U.S. Chess federations, not the U.S. Chess Federation. You know, just say like, no, we're in charge now. <laughs> we dismiss, we dismiss <laughs> these fools. <laughs> oh, we'll take it over. That's fine. Here. We do run tournaments here at Dojo, and someone was yeah, saying, you know, that's right. They they've got an extra forty four dollars per year now that they're not using on U.S. Chess membership that they can <laughs> they could uh, throw our way. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That's a lot of work. Maybe one thing yeah. I just want to say, just to make my own point clear, because I was going back and forth and I always just try to be as straight talking as possible. So I don't have, I, I'm against this policy. I do think Lutskos is right, it's hateful. Um, and the only, and, and the main reason I don't, I, is this, there's, there's not enough cases to even start actually talking about. If there was like a bunch of cases happening, if Sam Shankland, okay, turned into a woman and started playing in the U.S. championship. No, I say, no, Sam, not okay. You know, not okay, boss. Then then it would, if we had a bunch of cases Wait, like- Wait, why is Sam not allowed to be trans, but other people are? I'm just giving you an example. If some top GM, right, made a transition, yeah. and uh, then we felt it was bogus, or we felt it was just for the money or what, whatever. If that was actually happening, right? then I think the discussion is entirely different. But oh, then you would not, discuss. Okay. Right? But as, since it's not, it's just, it actually does, I think Hostia's point is fair in that since it's not happening, it's just a hateful thing at this point, right? I think in other sports, like with the weightlifting, I think that's a, that's a controversy. I don't even have an answer to that one. But I, I can understand because it has happened. There have been a bunch of dudes who've transitioned to women and then just crushed the records. Well, there I get it, dog. There, it's it's hap it's both happening and it's obviously a problem, right? So then I understand why you can have a big fight over, right? But but right like now, let's say let's say you were you were tennis and it hadn't happened in tennis yet, but you saw it happen in weightlifting. You know, would you put a policy in place in advance? I mean, me personally, I'm fine with making a policy in advance, mm -hmm. but um, here's Here's a big problem I see with the policy is I suspect that FIDE didn't consult any trans people in the crafting of their policy. And that's, you know, a weakness in our program as well here that we don't have any, mm -hmm. you know, trans or women's uh, voices on our show. Although I think we all tried to read up on, on what people had said publicly beforehand. And, you know, we have a choice folks to address topics or not. And sometimes we choose to address them, even though we don't have knowledge on the subject, or even if we're not representing all the voices that would actually be concerned. But uh, uh, like FIDE's you know, FIDE putting a policy like this into place, I mean, it should include uh, voices from the communities that are affected. So you would think that 
you know, they would have had to hear from trans people, but I don't think they did. You would also think that, you know, there would have to be like, did women come to them and ask for their for this supposed protection against fake against people who might pretend to be trans right that's definitely not yeah out of the realm of possibility and we can understand why top female players like they wouldn't publicly you know voice their opinion on this right i mean it'd be just inviting a lot of chaos so it's very possible that yeah it's something fide discussed with their some of their top players yeah it's possible but again what if they just didn't talk to anybody right like I think, you know, the concern could be that, you know, nobody asked for any protection from this kind of a policy, right? And they also didn't talk to the people whose rights they had to balance against the protection of other people's situation, right? So it it may be like a pretty arbitrary thing. And then again, it's like so, it's so vague. I don't understand the role or the point or how this, you know, further review thing Mm. happens. Um, it seems like if you were really trying to craft a policy, maybe at this point their policy should just be, we are currently thinking about this policy and don't yet have a good one. I could get behind that, you know. Um, or it, or if they're further along than that, they could lay out some of what they're thinking about, right? Um, in terms of like how they would make that decision and how long would it normally take, you know. Oh, we've given ourselves up to two years because legal blah, 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 but really it's going to take us two weeks. You know, or here's how who here's who's going to do it and how like I think, you know, it's a, it's just it's just too vague. And therefore, it has that chilling effect, as you guys mentioned before. Right. Where like you see something vague, but that is a weapon against you and you feel attacked. Okay, one final thought from the old geezer. Okay, end it. (laughs) (laughs) So we talked forever ago when Magnus blew it and gave up the world championship, destroyed the whole thing, you know, petulant. In any case, what I was really concerned then and now is that the world would then split into two different chess playing zones, right? And that's still very much a possibility on the horizon with you can imagine like a russia uh china possibly india zone versus the rest right uh the or the west if you however you want to categorize that this particular issue could be a further like layer to that dividing line between those two different chess worlds right and that's maybe the thing culturally that that disturbs me the most about it, right? Now, is it a hateful thing that's just used? Uh, fine, but it's also like I understand those cultures are in a totally different place when it comes to trans and, and homosexuality, right? And one of the beautiful things in my life has been, you know, traveling all around, meeting people from everywhere playing chess, and it really feeling like even if countries were at war, it was a lot of times it was just like, no, we're cool with each other because we're chess players. But now, right, I fear, I do fear like the chess world splitting, maybe along with the rest of the world, but especially the chess world. Yeah, I mean, if the whole world splits, the impacts will be worse than, you know, two world champions yeah. or two different cycles of tournaments. <laughs> Yeah, we've got bigger problems. That's for sure. 
Okay, but let's imagine we did have a split not too long ago called the Cold War, and chess players were actually pretty cool with each other, for example, right? Yeah. And we're headed towards some kind of Cold War now. And the chess world, you know, needs to be out of that Cold War. It needs to pull itself out of that mess, right? Mm -hmm. Or at least I hope it would. Sure. You want there to be not just chess, but various spheres in which people transcend that and build bridges and connections and understanding. Chess has been that for a long time. It's a, it's one of the beautiful things of our game. Yeah. Okay, my friends. Let's right. end. Thanks for listening. We'll end it there. Catch you all next time. Have a good one, everybody.